we're going to talk today from the series, He Loves Us. And so the primary thing I want you to get out of this series is how much God loves you. And, and the only reason that you and I can love properly is because we have been loved by God. Amen. So that's very, very important for us to, to grasp. And then we as believers want to carry this love. We, are, we want to be carriers of the love of God. I mean, that's what you've got to do. And uh, you don't make this stuff up as you go. God gives us instructions, right? And uh, so today's specific subject is he atoned for sin. And so that means that Jesus became uh, uh, the uh, propitiation for our sins. We'll talk about that wonderful word propitiation a little bit as well. Uh, when you talk about atonement in the scriptures, you talk about, um, in the Hebrew, it means to cover. It is kafar, kafar, not gafar, kafar. <laughs> Say these, you know, it means kafar. Oh, so gafar in, in, in uh, your language, in Urdu, uh, is, oh, is atonement. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Wow. That's interesting, huh? So I guess uh, kafar and gafar are related. <laughs> so kafar means to cover. It also means to, to cancel. I initially, it meant specifically to cover with something called uh, bitumen. And what that was, uh, it, it was to cover it so that it would never be seen again. Uh, also, it means to cleanse. Uh, it also means to utterly annul to utterly annul. I mean, you, once it is annulled, you can't find it. You can't, uh, as it were, bring it back to surface again. It means to uh, forgive. Uh, kafar means to forgive. It means to be merciful to. It means to cancel. I mean, sorry, sorry to purge, to purge something, to really get rid of it. You know, it's when uh, you medical people, you will purge that line, you wash it thoroughly so that there's no residual stuff there. And it also means to make reconciliation, to bring us back to relationship with God, to bring us into harmony with God. I want to talk a little bit about this word propitiation because there is uh, some controversy in the body of Christ among theologians, uh, you theologians, you always, uh, you have a, a sometimes uh, the thought of a word called expiation, and then there's propitiation. I want to get into all of the, the uh, what expiation means uh, just a little bit, but propitiation is probably the right word, uh, and of course, Dad Allen, Allen Vincent, uh, says it's always propitiation. It's not expiation, he says. And so I, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So propitiation, uh, as, uh, to give you this definition before we get into it fully, uh, means that there is a satisfaction of God's justice uh, or God's wrath. Been, they have been satisfied. Uh, God holds now no hostility uh, towards those who have sinned against him. So he doesn't have any anger against those who have sinned against him. So you have to be careful as we walk down the school zone. Um, uh, it, it allows us to, uh, propitiation, this word allows us to, to uh, infer, to gather uh, that God is fully satisfied by, by what Christ did on the cross. That that sacrifice fully satisfied 
uh, God's justice and God's wrath. Um, now, propitiation also uh, has to do with uh, requiring that the sins, the sins were passed over and uh, that, uh, that our sins, man's sins, were passed over and placed onto Christ. I mean, that's what we believe, that they were placed onto Christ. Um, so uh, the Scripture teaches us that, that uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, uh, having been made a curse for us or, or becoming a curse for us. And, uh, and then he also, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible, it says that, for he made him, in verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so Jesus Christ became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he took on our sin. So God did not simply pass over our sins by, by forgetting them. And that was not what it was not. Uh, uh, but it was because of Christ's sacrifice that he, he did that. So the Father specifically uh, passed our curse to Christ. And uh, it belonged to us, but he, he gave it to Christ. And uh, Christ then, as, according to Isaiah, in chapter 53, verse 5, uh, he bore our iniquities. So uh, it was not just like he did something and God said, okay, that's it. No, he actually bore our iniquities. And so uh, Scripture always talks about uh, this word propitiation. And I want to just jump into it, if you don't mind, give you a definition so when I start to talk about it, you'll, you'll have some idea and we'll revisit it in a moment. Uh, so, so what does this word propitiation or atonement uh, uh, demonstrates. Uh, it, uh, the scripture says it demonstrates God's righteousness at the present time. Uh, that, that means that we are, that those of us who are now faithful uh, in Christ um, uh, because of the sacrifice, we're now faithful and God has de uh, deemed us faithful. He has deemed us uh, cleared of our wrong when we express faith in Jesus Christ. And so, he did this so that he would be just and the justifier of all of us who had faith or who have faith in Christ. So Jesus, uh, God rather, is both just and he is justifier. He is just because he actually punished sin. So he, would, he wouldn't have been just if he had not punished sin, if he just let it go. But he punished sin, so that means he is just. And, um, and uh, he bore that punishment Christ rather bore that punishment, and so God is now justifier. Amen. So Christ bore the punishment, he's justifier, in that by being just in punishing sin, he has also made unjust men just in his eyes. And therefore, he, is, he has punished sin, and now he is justifier because he has made us just. That is, made, he has made us justified. He looks at us as though we have never, ever sinned. And so that, that's what I think John is talking about. So it's not like uh, you and I are still all messed up. God doesn't see us that way. Uh, in 1 John chapter 2, we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins, the atonement. He himself is. Jesus is. So Jesus, we find, is indispensable to our salvation in every regard. So I, 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 I hope I didn't go too fast, too quickly. But Jesus is the, the uh, propitiation. He is the atonement for our sins, um, uh, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. So that means that, 
I know some say that Jesus did not die for everybody. He died only for the elect. I disagree with that, and uh, I think many will disagree with that, because if Jesus only died for the, the few, then whosoever will cannot come. And so the cry is, whosoever will, let him come. So uh, John really deals with these things because he deals with them so as to combat heresy. You and I are living in a day when there's so much lying going on. I know a lot of times Christians say, well, uh, they don't know what to believe. And I always say that's not true. And uh, now it is, not, it is not up to us to, as it were, take sides in the worldly debates and the world, world's arguments. We don't take sides in that stuff. But what we do is, as, as people of truth, we just carry ourselves as the truth because God has defined us as the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so he doesn't say you're just people who uh, understand a bit about truth, but he calls you the pillar and ground of the truth. And he says in his word, as Christ is, so are you in this world. As he is, so are you in this world. So you and I are in the process of becoming what Jesus is. Now, we're not going to become God, but we are sons of God. Amen. We're not God as, in, as Christ is, but we are sons of God. So we are in the process of becoming that truth of God. Yeah? Amen. And so this is very clear. Amen. So uh, let me start out in John, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 6. I, I don't feel like we had time to do justice to uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through, uh, through 5. But, you know, John talks about that when he starts his uh, gospel. He says that he talks about what they had heard. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So what John is saying to his audience is that, uh, whenever people bring in heresy or false things, he says, no, no, we actually heard the voice of God. We were in close proximity to God. We heard his voice. We saw him with our eyes. We looked upon him and we touched God. We handled him with our hands. He says, now I'll tell you what he said. And that's just what John is saying. So you and I do not have that particular experience, but we have the experience of the indwelling Holy Spirit who was there at that time, at that particular moment when the disciples were hearing and seeing and t handling. So you and I now have the Spirit who guided them in that process. So we are not, as it were, some really distant witnesses. Are you with me? We are now in close proximity to God because we, are, we have His Spirit and are now his born ones. So we have been born of God. So that means that we can safely say, and without any equivocation, God is our Father. So, so I want you to understand the greatness uh, of this, uh, this salvation that you and I have received. We should not be so carefree uh, with this salvation, happy-go-lucky, and I'm, I know God loves me while you keep on sinning. So John is writing this so that you don't keep on sinning. There are Christians who made a peace treaty with sin. They sin all the time. And they're like, I know God loves me. I know God loves me. That, that's ridiculous. Yes, he loves you, but do you love him? His love for you is to cause you to love him. All right? So he, he atoned for sin. Uh, so whenever we, we sin willingly and just willfully, we, the Bible says we crucify him afresh. 
and then we bring, we bring the Son of God to an open shame. But what does that mean? It's, it's like every time you sin, he's hanging on the cross naked again right in front of you. So he atoned for sin. Let me find where I am. Okay. So, so um, in verse 6 we say, if we say that we have fellowship with him, chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Now, John is very, very direct, isn't he? And do not practice the truth. So now, now in this church here, he says, if we say we have fellowship. What do we mean by fellowship? It's the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia it means partnership. It means participation. It means I have communion with God. I am sharing something with God. Right? And so I have also a shared interest in what God is doing. I share in the interest of God. So he says, if we say that we have communion with God, partnership with God, participation with God, a shared interest in God's program, and uh, we walk in darkness, we are lying. I hope, I hope you all are okay with me just quoting the word. It said, so you, you cannot have a lifestyle of uh, bad stuff, and you say, well, he loves me anyway. Yeah, but you're going to have a different destiny than the rest of us. And if you are practicing those things, you don't have fellowship with God, nor do you have fellowship with the people you come to church with. Now, now after saying that, John says, but, so he changes the direction. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. So what he's saying is that God's purpose is that we all walk the same, that we all believe the same, that we all think the same. That's what he's saying, so that we won't have any issues among us. You know, sometimes if I know you've walked with somebody and, and you thought you were walking with them, and then all of a sudden they were going in a different direction. You go, where did you go? You know, you know that's what happens. But we have some mixed up theology. Now, the devil did that so that he could trip you up. Now, I do believe, and I say this without any hesitation, that once Jesus saves you, you are saved. I believe that. I do not believe. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and, and we, I used to get saved every few weeks, sometimes every week. Because the moment you messed up, you had to get saved all over again. No, it's not accurate. I had to repent of my sin, but I was saved. But many of us uh, will be saved, but, but too many of us will not have much reward in heaven. We just won't have much reward. You say, Pastor, that's such a definite statement you made. It's the truth. We won't have, because we're not doing what he says. Now listen to what he says. We can't have fellowship with one another unless we are walking in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses his son. Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? It cleanses us from all sin. So God's in the process of, of, of cleansing us from sin with the blood, and we are in the process of sinning more. That's incompatible with Scripture. So you, so you say, well, I'm just weak. No. There's a, there's a weakness and then there's a wickedness. And we want to differentiate between the two. Are you still with me? I hope you love me. As, as light, as light, God reveals his holiness to us. 
and he exposes sin, and he condemns it. So uh, he, God, Jesus is light, so he, he, what, he, what does he do? He reveals his holiness through his light, because he's unlike everybody else, he's unlike the darkness, and, uh, and then he exposes sin, and he condemns it. So light makes manifest, light exposes. So you and I don't have to go around with our mouths exposing things. We really don't have to do that. You don't have to be a chatterbox with your mouth, your lips. You, you, you're, who you are now, who, are, who you have become, is exposing bad stuff. That's why, that's why when you walk into a new job, you, you, I mean, I'm talking about people walking this thing out. You walk into a new job, you've got somebody who doesn't like you immediately. And you have done nothing but walk in. You know why? You, your walk exposed them. That's what God is after in this thing. This is huge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So God, God, God hates sin. We know that. God hates sin. Is there anybody here who would say, no, no, God loves sin? All right, we're in the right place. God hates sin. Therefore, if we indulge in sin and say that we have fellowship with God, we absolutely don't, and we're lying. You can't indulge in sin. No, no, I heard years ago, and I think it was the early 70s, that we are called sheep by God, not pigs. And I heard this preacher say that, that, uh, that uh, a pig loves to wallow in the mud. So if you, like, if you enjoy mud wallowing, you're not saved yet. Right? So, but a sheep may fall in the mud, but the sheep doesn't like it. The sheep falls in the mud, he gets up and shakes himself. Right? Shakes himself, right? To shake himself off and want somebody to come clean me quickly. Are you with me? You don't like that. Amen. So to indulge sin is to allow yourself to enjoy its pleasure, and then you'll yield yourself to it. So don't indulge sin. Verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I used to say to my children, listen, if you ever lie... I don't want you to ever lie, but if you ever lie, don't lie to yourself. Amen. I used to tell them that. Because he's saying, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. You don't need the devil to do it. You don't need others to do it. You're deceiving yourself. And, and, but this is what's so, so grave. And the truth is not in us. So if, to say those kinds of things while you're doing the wrong thing, he says the truth is not anywhere in, found in you. So men living their lives devoid of the truth is, is what, is, are those who say, I have not sinned. Uh, that's not sin. That's not sin. What I'm doing is not sin. Wow. You know, you know I'm going to hit something. I want to move on to it because it's not my, uh, on from it because it's not my message. You know, I found, uh, I've seen adulterers who say, I know I'm wrong. I've seen fornicators who say, I know I'm wrong. I've even known uh, thieves who say, I know I'm wrong. And the problem that we're all faced with is now the homosexual says, I'm not wrong. And that's self-deception. Now I'm going to move on because I, I, I want to deal with all sinners. But I don't want you to be so sympathetic to somebody in your family that you can't speak the truth. And if you are, if you are, then what you're saying is, I'm not sharing with God. I'm not fellowshipping with God. And you have to repent of that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. There are truth suppressors. 
And, and, and we know some of them. And we watch some of them on TV. Yes, we, we listen to them report to us. Truth suppressors. You know, the, see, the gospel is amazing. The righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel, but also the wrath of God is revealed through the gospel. And we have to take the whole counsel of God. In Romans 2, 2, he says, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. So the, the judgment of God is according to truth. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter how you look at it. It doesn't matter if your loved one is involved in it. It's, John is saying to him, we have to be right. This is what John is saying. John is saying we have to be the light. We have to be those who love God. We have to e e exemplify the, what children of God look like and act like. This is what John is saying, against all error. And what he is saying is, those people who have some new understanding, some new knowledge, those who want to tear pages out of the Bible, he says they're wrong because we have heard God, we have seen God, we, we have looked upon God, we have touched God, we have handled God, and we're telling you what God said. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And uh, there are those who say, Pastor Don, you're radical, you're you're going nuts now. Well, let them say it. I'll wear that as a badge. Romans 3.23 says something. That I, I, I love this verse, not because I want to keep, stay there, but the, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Every one of us in this building has sinned. Now, now I know some of us, we, we get a little religion and we act like we've never sinned. Yeah, you're going to be hard on everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm not hard on, on the sinner. I'm not hard on the sinner. I tell the sinner the truth because it's the truth that will make you free. Amen. Tell the sinner the truth. You know, he said, well, I don't want to, uh, mom, mommies, I want to he talked to the mom just for a moment. Say, I don't want to drive him away. What do you mean, drive him away? He's already away. <laughs> I don't want to drive him away. I don't want to drive him away. And some of you, you men have, have bought into that. I don't want to drive them away. No, they're already away. The truth will make them free. The truth brings them back. It was the prodigal son who was in the hog pen who came to himself. And we know the Holy Spirit was there. So the, the, let's trust the Word of God. He says all of our children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be the peace of our children. Let's trust the Word of God, that the Word of God, wherever they go, they can't escape the Word of God. Amen. You don't have to compromise to keep your child. Compromise, you will lose your child. But the Bible says they're going to be taught of God. All of them are going to be taught of God. It doesn't matter what that boy's doing. It doesn't matter what that girl's doing. They're taught of God. They may come the hard way, but they're coming. Amen. They can, they can come to God on a nice thoroughfare or a nice highway or a nice road, but some of them want to go through the bushes. But they're coming. Paul, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, 10, he, see, I, I brought this out. It didn't change the meaning. He says, the truth of Christ is in me. You can look at that. Just take that little, that little phrase out. The truth of Christ is in me. And you can safely say here today, the truth of Christ is in me if you're walking right, if you're doing what you know to do. The truth of Christ is in me. The truth of Christ is in me. Yeah. 
And that's why, that's why uh, we, we are not deceived. We know that we, are, we, we have sinned. You can't sin the day and tomorrow and the next day and say, but he loves me, he loves me. Yes, he loves you, you don't love him. In verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Now, this is amazing. He is just and justifier, right? So he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That is so amazing. See, Jesus died. He purchased, he died for your sins. He purchased your forgiveness. To be atoned for means that, that I have forgiveness coming. I confess my sins. He is faithful. He is faithful to his covenant. He is faithful to his purposes. He says he is faithful and he's just. He will forgive me of my sins and atone by the blood of Christ. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. All unrighteousness. Don't think that you're going to get to heaven because you're cute. You're so handsome. You, you, <laughs> In Psalm 32, verse 5, the psalmist says, I acknowledge my sin to you, speaking to God, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I confess to you. Confess to God now. Maybe there's some sin in your life. You can confess it to God. You say, I just don't feel worthy to confess it. Well, nobody is worthy. Jesus makes you worthy. So you confess your sin. God, I'm sorry for that sin. And he will forgive you. Yes, amen. That, that's, I don't know. I... That's a simple truth, but I'm wiped out about that. Amen. That Jesus will forgive you. And, if, and you don't keep on doing sin, right? Oh, y'all are quiet. So since you're so quiet, I'm going to read Psalm 51. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so you don't like that? Let's read Psalm 51. Uh, let's read a few verses. It's a Psalm of David when, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. You know the story? Let me tell you briefly the story in case somebody doesn't know it. David, the, the king of Israel, mighty man, godly man, wonderful man. God has made him amazing promises. Took him from following sheep. He was a little shepherd boy uh, out there. Uh, and there's a lot I could tell you about David that is very different. And if you'll really survey the scriptures, you'll find that there was a reason that David uh, daddy Jesse had not called him. I, I have no doubt that his mother was not the mother of the other kids. She was another lady. And, uh, but anyway, uh, David was not brought to the anointing, and uh, he became king um, uh, when, when Samuel came to anoint uh, somebody king. And so finally he came in, and, and uh, Samuel anointed him king. He was a young kid. Uh, later on, he became a mighty king, a great king. He was called the great king. He brought the, uh, ushered in the kingdom of God on the earth, Israel, uh, through Israel, it was the kingdom of God, and he was just a monarch, he was mighty, God had blessed him mightily, and, and he had defeated all of his enemies, wherever he went, he defeated his enemies, because he depended on God, and so uh, one night, uh, when kings go, went out to war, he didn't go out to war that time, and he, he stayed back in the palace, and uh, he saw one of his captain's wife, uh, uh, Uriah was one of his faithful captains, a, a mighty man of valor, and he saw his wife, she was really beautiful, and he wanted that girl. And uh, he went into her, and, and, and she became pregnant, and, and uh, he tried to cover it up by, by, uh, by having Uriah 
fight in the hottest part of the battle, he told Joab, to send him to the hottest part of the battle, and when it gets really hot, just have your soldiers withdraw, because Uriah would not withdraw. He, he was that kind of a fighter. He was like some of you. You know, he would not withdraw, and, and of course he was murdered, and David hid his sin. He thought it was hidden, but it wasn't hidden. And so Nathan went into him and, and told, gave him a parable about a man who had a lot of sheep, and and a traveler came, and he didn't take one of his sheep, but he took this traveler's sheep. And uh, so David was furious, and he said, uh, that man deserves to die. He says, you're the man, okay? David, David, I'm sure David going, what? He said, yeah, you took Uriah's wife. God, you thought it was hidden, but God, God knew. And so, so, so David was really heartbroken. David was a good man. So don't you all always want to castigate David? All, he was a good man, did a bad thing did a bad thing. A good man did a bad thing. And I always tell, say to Bible teachers, uh, God has never promised that your seed's going to sit on the throne, but he did this man. It's a good man, but he did something bad. A good man that did something bad. Now, let's, let's, let's read his, his, uh, his prayer of repentance. Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, that's key, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. David cried out to God and asked him to forgive him. And so you and I must do the same. Regardless of the sin, we must ask God's forgiveness. And he forgives us. He cleanses us. If we confess those sins, that is, if we say the same thing about sin that God says, you cannot say something different than what God says. When you say, I'm all right, I'm out of care. What anybody says, I don't even care what the pastor says. You're not right. The Bible says, actually, what? You're a liar. Wow. And the truth is not in you. Verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we not only are a liar, but we make him a liar. That, that's cold. You know, you're not only sinning against God, but you're going to not tell God he's lying. There's no place of fellowship for, for that person, right? And his word is not in us. 
and his word is not in us. John, John 3.33 tells us, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. So when you and I believe what God has said, the witness of God, the testimony of God, we say God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar, as the scripture says. Amen? Yeah. Now let's go to 1 John chapter 2. We fellowship in the light of God. Now, our fellowship is where? It is in the light of God. It is not in what I think. It is in what God says. Right? So it doesn't matter what your church would have taught you. It is what God says. And there are some churches that are really light on sin. I don't bash churches. You know I don't do that. But there are some people out there that are very light on sin. They don't even mention sin. They, mention, they preach a sort of I'm okay, you're okay gospel. But that's not God's gospel. Let's read the scriptures. In, in verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. I, you know, I, I, I can't stand. Can I just uh, deviate a moment? I just can't stand it when, when preachers and teachers say, you're going to sin. Well, let's get that straight. You're going to sin. I just feel like lassoing them, doing my cowboy thing, put them on my little horse, and just riding. Yeah, man. I almost wore my boots today, too. Yeah. You know, because that is not scriptural. It is not scriptural to say to believers, you're going to sin. Let's just straighten that. No. That is not what the Bible says. It says, I write to you so that, that you may not. So why is he going to write that you may not if it's an inevitable, inevitable thing? Now, having said that, it is likely that I will sin because I'm a work in progress. I am a work in progress. It is likely, but that's not what the Word of God says. It, say, it says, now, and if anyone sins, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a lawyer, an abogado, well, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And what the Bible is showing us is, is that sin should not be your common everyday experience. Amen. It should not be. It should not be, not for any believer. It should not be common everyday experience. And while we're in the body, we will probably sin, you know, here and there, but we don't practice it. We, we don't practice sin. We don't practice sin. We abhor sin. It's not normal for us. And some of us hate other folks' sin, but we've made a peace treaty with our sin. All right? It's true. I don't like that person. They did blah, blah, blah. They did that, this, and this. But what are you doing? All right? Now, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a fine line here, and I want to try to walk this. This is, this is our school zone. Verse 2 says, we have an advocate. Verse 1 says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation. So he's not just somebody who provides propitiation or atonement. He is the atonement. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So now the universalists mess up here because then they say, well, everybody's going to be saved. That's not what he's saying. And John is refuting that kind of heresy. That stuff is heresy. Right. Romans 3, 24. What does uh, Romans 3, 24 through 26 say? Being justified freely by his grace. Okay? How? Grace. God, God was just favorable to you. He was kind to you. He was compassionate. 
and he brought you into a place where you could hear the gospel and listen to the Holy Spirit and be saved. God wanted you, and, and you responded to God. That's so, that's so beautiful. So you're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so you find again, the propitiate, Christ is the propitiation, and Christ is your redemption. That's why we just love Jesus, don't we? He says, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Wow, this is so beautiful to me. And so God has demonstrated uh, his righteousness because he, in his forbearance, he, he passed over the sin that was previously committed. But now he says he is just. Why? Because he's punished sin. He punished sin through his son on the cross. When his son was on, he loved us that much. He loved us that much that he's placed Jesus on the cross and, and poured out all of his wrath, all the wrath he could ever have. Christ did, died the most ignoble death. He, he died the death of the worst criminal so that there, there's nothing you can do in the universe so bad that he can't save you. That's amazing. That's what he did. Amazing. Jesus is something. He's wonderful. And Jesus willingly did that. Amen. Jesus willingly did that. Jesus, a man, Mary's little baby, grew, grew, grew up. God is his father, grew up knowing that he would suffer, and he suffered for us willingly. Man. So, so now the cross has propitiated or satisfied God and has met God's righteous demands so, so completely and so thoroughly that, that his grace and mercy are abundantly available to both us and sinners. Both the saved and the unsaved, it's available. Wow. So, so Jesus' work is it's a thorough work. And so this is why you and I must comport ourselves as people of the light. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, John, in John 1, 29, he saw Jesus walking uh, after he uh, baptized him. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? He said that. You know how he said that, right? Because the, 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 he saw the Holy Spirit lighting on him. And the Father told him, the one on whom you see the Spirit of God descend and remain, that is, he is the one. He is the Messiah. Amen. May we read verse 3? Yes. Now by this we know that we know him. Okay, now that you're going to know if you know him. You're in the, in the house there today or you're watching by television or internet and, and uh, you'll say, I don't know if I know God. Let's, let's find out. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Yeah. You got to do what he says. Yeah. Now do we falter in that ever? Sometimes. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do, we fail to keep a commandment. But when you do, you feel bad? Yes. Anybody here said, no, I feel good about it? 
No, we feel bad. We feel bad when we, 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 we uh, do something that God doesn't like. I mean, it churns. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll just try to outlast that, that churning inside, that bad feeling, that sinking feeling, that sick feeling that we get when we sin. We'll just try to outlast it. And you know what you do? You start to build up a, a crust over your conscience. You, you're searing over your conscience so that it's harder now for you to sense God, know God. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. All right? All right, so let's keep reading. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a... Mm, oh, is what? Oh, a liar. Wow. Wow. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. But whoever keeps his word, the love of God is perfected in him. Whoever keeps his word, the love of God is perfected in him. It's brought to maturity in him. It's brought to completion in him. Wow. Wow. By this we know that we're in him. Why? Because the love of God has been perfected in me. Now, I, I, I don't want to ever be the, the, you know, the poster boy for, for this. But I've taught you that John, John 14, 21 through 23 is just such, it's such, such, there's such illumination in that for me. John 14, right? 21, John 14, 21. Okay, you have that? Somebody have, does somebody have 14, 21 for me? Quickly. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So he says, anybody, if, if you, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and I will love him. Um, he will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will make known, I will manifest myself. And so that, now you're talking about the love of God being perfected. That's what the love of God is. So when the love of God is perfected, you walk totally differently than you have ever walked. You, you, you don't let these things bother you. you, you every, every, not every day you, you, you have a clean slate, as it were, with God. You confess anything you need to confess. You, you hate sin. You deplore it. You're starting to walk differently. Now let's read uh, 22 and 23, same chapter. 14, 22, and 23. Judas, not his carrier, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? What does verse 23 say? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, right, loves, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so, so there is something that sort of sets apart that person who says, I'm going to obey God. Doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to obey God. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He says, you will be, you, God will have almost a special communion with you, or you will know him differently than others know him. It, it would be just like, um, I, if, let's just say if I have a child and and that child lives in New York and has lived in New York for the last 30 years or 40 years. And, and uh, we've only seen each other three or four times, but, but that's my child. And I've got children who are here in the city and I'm with them all the time. And I'm always interacting with them. I, which one will I know better? The one's always interacting with me. I'm going to know them. That's my child. I love my child. 
I'll do whatever I can to my child, say in New York or, or, or L.A. I would still love that child, but I know these a lot better. And this is what he's saying to us. You know, does, do you know God better? Because you've been spending time with him. That's what he wants of you. That's what he wants of you. Jesus tells us, um, in, um, I'm sorry, uh, verse 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself, ought, ought himself also to walk just as he walks. So John says that if you say, I dwell in the Lord, I'm really in Christ, I ought to walk just like Jesus walked. Is that your goal? I want to walk like Jesus walked. I want to be just like Jesus. You know, when we talk about reward, about reward in heaven, I know I've heard people say, well, I just, I've always wanted a big house, and I just want a really big house. And, and I mean, nothing wrong with that, I suppose. But that's not what I want as a reward. You know what I want as a reward? Proximity. I want to be close to Jesus as I can be forever and ever. And it doesn't matter what I have to go through on this earth. That's what I want. Amen. Jesus tells us. <laughs> Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn. What do you learn? What will you learn? Believers, what will you learn? Will you learn to be a good cultural Christian? No, I don't want that. Will you be a good denominational Christian? No, I don't want that. He says, I am gentle. I want you to learn how to be gentle. I want you to learn how to be meek. I am lowly in heart. I want you to understand how to be lowly. He says, only in this will you find rest for your soul. We have tried to find rest in other ways, and we've not found it. Why? He says, no, be like him, and you will find rest. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes. So John says in verse 7, he says, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. What is it, John? He says in John 13, 34, a new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. He says, you love one another as I love you. Love one another as I've loved you. Forgive one another, forgive one another. How many of you sometimes get tired of forgiving? Don't raise your hand. You know, you sometimes just get tired of forgiving. I, I'm just not going to forgive anymore. What if God, in G, through Christ, got tired of forgiving you? What would your end be? Where? It's scary. So if Jesus hasn't given up on forgiving you, you should never give up on forgiving others. Now, I get tired. Come confessing it. You don't have to confess. I'll confess. I get sometimes tired. I go, again? <laughs> you know, it's true, man. But, you know, I've never heard in the Spirit God says, okay, DG, again? Never. Never. So we have to keep on forgiving. That's, that's, a, that's a part of our growing closer to God and becoming more like Him. 
He always makes sure that we have those hurdles in our lives that will keep us moving forward, jumping those things, dealing with those things. He makes sure that we have mountains in our lives that we keep exercising our faith in Jesus' name. Yeah, he does that. He does that. He does that. Verse, verse 8 says, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. This thing is true in him and in you. Now, don't, don't, don't confess something that, that you don't have any intention of living out. But this is true in him and in you. Why? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what he's saying is, there, this is what's going on in the world you may not be able to see it as it were with your natural eyes, but the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. This is what I believe he is saying, is that the knowledge of the Lord is becoming pervasive. And, and see, part of the darkness also is seen in nations that say, we don't want anything about Jesus taught in our nation. We, no, we, we want to shut you Christians out. We can't stand you. That's, those are the devil's emissaries. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to go on TV and, and 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 cuss them out, so to speak. You know, just say all kinds of negative, nasty things about them, and 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 sound like you're preaching the gospel and saying all this. You know, it's just for show, man. You know, if you really want to do something, fast and pray. You know, you you don't go on TV and do that. All right, are we together? Let, let's read a few more uh, before we are finished. Romans 13, uh, 12 through 14, says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So, so, so just be who you are supposed to be. Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says, For you were once darkness. So you were once the problem. Doesn't matter how good you were as a kid. You were once the problem. You were not, you were, he says darkness. You were darkness. And we're talking about light and darkness. You, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, in the ESV, I like the ESV rendering. It says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So what he's telling us is not the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of light is all goodness. And now, now is the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, the fruit of the Spirit uh, is these things as well. But he's talking about the fruit of light. So as, as a person of light, you were darkness, but now you are light. When you walk in the place, you don't have to say, let there be light. You are light. You are light. You are light. God's desire is that you and I be light. He says, but now you were darkness, but now you are light. Where? You are light in the Lord. So if you are in Christ, you are uh, like a lamp. You are a big uh, spotlight. 
your life. And, and that's why uh, when you get on the job, sometimes you're exposing what is wrong. All right, my time has slipped away. Let me stop here. Let me stop here. Let us live up to the atonement. Let's live up to the propitiation. God has saved us through the death of his son. And we are now saved. We were darkness, but now we are light. We are light in the Lord. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus says. I'm sure if this light were animated, it wouldn't have to say, I'm light. You know, it just what is. If it were animated, it would have a voice. But you and I don't have to go around saying who we are. You're either light or you're not. And this is what Jesus meant about putting your light under a bushel, hiding who you are. I dare say that there's some of us in this room who are hiding who we are. And what I want you to do today is to confess it. Confess it. You have to confess sin. You can't play with it. You have to say what it is. It's ugly. You put Jesus on the cross. And this is what I tell you, and I tell you this by the Holy Spirit, that when the church decides to be the church, to do what Jesus has told us by the power of the Holy Spirit, will change everything around us. I believe that everybody who will be saved will be saved when we do that. Each of us has a responsibility, a responsibility to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify us, no, but our Father who is in heaven. If you're here today and you cannot participate in this, you say, but Pastor, I'm not saved. I understand that somebody got saved today before church at the coffee shop. And I, I'm, I'm excited about that. But if you're here today, and if you're that person, or if you're anybody else, and you said, well, Pastor, I want to be saved today. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I would like for you to stand with me. Just stand where you are. If you said, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. I want to be saved. I want to, I want to have fellowship with God. I want to have fellowship with other believers. I want to have fellowship. I want to have a sharing in the things of God. I want to have communion, common union. I want there to be some commonality between myself and God and, and with other believers. Is that you here? Anybody today?